there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Hundreds of men and women dressed in loose-fitting pink and white robes flocked to a Pennsylvania church to celebrate a commitment ceremony. Some members wore flimsy gold and silver crowns, and some wore crowns made of bullets. These members eagerly clutched long, thin objects they deemed biblical rods of iron from the Book of Revelation. But what were they really? AR-15s. A church spokesman, Tim Elder, says now more than ever, good people need to stand up and claim for themselves the tools that can be used to stop that kind of evil. He says the AR-15, or equivalent weapons, shows both the intent and ability to defend one's family and community. The World Peace and Unification Sanctuary is led by the Reverend Sean Moon. He's the son of the Reverend Sun Myung Moon and the brother of a gun manufacturer. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults. Today we're going to take a deep dive into the Unification Church, or as they might be more commonly known, the Moonies. Founded in 1954 and headquartered in Seoul, South Korea, the Unification Church spread Moon's message worldwide. The Unification Church was most active in the late 1970s and early 80s. At their height, they claimed to have as many as 3 million devoted members in 120 countries. They still have followers around the world today. In this episode, we'll explore the life of church founder and leader, Sun Myung Moon. Moon claimed to be the Messiah, calling himself Lord of the Second Advent. He was able to establish the perfect sinless family, supposedly, and all of those mass wedding that he had over the years with tens of thousands of people who never knew each other, that was supposedly going to help get rid of original sin. Moon once said his goal was to rule the world and to completely replace Christianity with his own faith. But his actions suggested that his primary concerns were money and influence. In part two, we'll look at the church's beliefs and explore the relationship between Moon's devotees and his business dealings. Moon wasn't only a religious leader. In his quest for financial success, he opened newspapers, hotels, hospitals, an arms manufacturing company, and numerous nonprofit organizations. The church owns Connecticut's University of Bridgeport, the United Press International News Agency, and the Washington Times newspaper. All of Moon's businesses were built almost entirely from funds and labor supplied by his followers. Many members of Moon's church sever ties with their families, trading their biological mothers and fathers for Mr. Moon and his wife, who are referred to as their true parents. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast, and on Twitter as at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. According to his official biography, Sun Myung Moon was born Mun Yong Myung, on January 6, 1920, in a small rural town in what is today North Pyongan province in North Korea. This was during the time when the Korean peninsula was under Japanese occupation. Mun Yong Myung's parents were farmers, and he was the younger of two sons in a household with eight children. For the first 10 years of his life, the family practiced Confucianism. Confucianism in Korea emphasizes devotion to one's parents, 
a concept that Moon apparently retained when he created the Unification Church and adopted the title of True Father. In 1930, when Moon was 10 years old, his family converted to Christianity, and they joined a Presbyterian church. Unification Church members believe that when Moon was 15, Jesus appeared to him on April 17, 1935, Easter Sunday. According to church tradition, Jesus anointed Moon as God's chosen Messiah and asked him to complete the work left unfinished after his crucifixion. After a period of prayer and consideration, Moon accepted the mission to establish God's kingdom of heaven on earth. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note that Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she's done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Kalevi Taminen, a professor at the University of Helsinki, noted in his paper, Religious Experiences in Childhood and Adolescence, that, quote, religious experience decreased as children move from childhood to adolescence. For children aged 13 to 15 years, puberty brings a clear turning point in religious development and doubts about God's existence increase, end quote. But that's not what happened to Moon. In his case, he apparently became more religious in his teenage years. However, it's worth noting that 15-year-old Moon did not reveal this supposed encounter with Jesus at the time. He only began telling this story as an adult after he founded his church. We don't know for sure if he really experienced this messianic vision. If Moon's vision had mundane rather than spiritual origins, he may have been suffering from what's known in popular culture as a messiah complex. In the DSM, the symptoms of grandiose delusions, also known as delusions of grandeur or megalomania, closely resemble those found in individuals said to be suffering from a messiah complex. Grandiose delusions are generally characterized by fantastical beliefs that one is famous, omnipotent, or otherwise very powerful. These delusions typically have a religious or supernatural theme, which fits with Moon's conviction that he was finishing Jesus' failed work. But Moon didn't try to take up Jesus' mantle right away. He initially pursued a less spiritual career. In 1941, Moon began studying electrical engineering at Waseda University in Japan when he was 21 years old. According to his autobiography, during this time, he cooperated with Communist Party members and the Korean independence movement against Imperial Japan. We don't know exactly what this entailed, but given Moon's close relationship with the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, it stands to reason that he may have provided information to the Korean government during his time in Japan. In April of 1945, he returned to Seoul and married Sun Kil Choi. After World War II and the Japanese occupation ended in 1945, Korea was divided into two trusteeships, one in the south, managed by the United States, and one in the north, managed by the Soviet Union. Prior to the split, the province of Pyongyang was the center of Christian activity in Korea. After the war in the late 40s, over 150 priests and other religious figures were killed in concentration camps or disappeared after being taken into custody, including the Roman Catholic bishop of Pyongyang and all the monks of Tokwan Abbey. It was during this time of religious oppression in April 1946 that Moon's son, Sung Jin Moon, was born. That same year, Moon left his wife and child behind in Seoul and moved to Pyongyang, now the capital of North Korea. Moon founded the Kwang Ya Church, a predecessor of the Unification Church. Rumors began to spread around Pyongyang about acts of sexual deviance being performed during Kwang Ya church rituals. Moon was arrested for sexual relations with a married woman, a serious crime in conservative Korean culture and imprisoned in Hungnam labor camp, a Soviet-style gulag. He was sentenced to five years, a virtual death sentence. According to a study by Harvard University, the gulag prison camps were so horrific, prisoners would often go to incredible lengths to avoid their forced labor. 
One account involved a man who cut his hand open with an axe in order to get into the hospital just to relax for a couple of days. One Gulag document noted that prisoners would hack off fingers and extremities and also mentions cases where prisoners drank kerosene or soap to cause stomach ailments, inject turpentine or petroleum to create boils, all to secure a little time in the hospital, away from the harsh conditions of the Gulag. Moon said he endured severe torture at the hands of the communists during his 34-month stay at Hungnam. He was beaten until he vomited blood. This would have been an incredibly traumatic experience. According to psychologists Amanda Williams and Janie Vandermerva, torture survivors often suffer from long-term aftereffects, from PTSD to depression to chronic pain. In 1950, during the first year of the Korean War, Moon and his fellow prisoners were freed when United Nations troops raided Hungnam and the guards fled. After his years of suffering in a communist prison camp, Moon openly condemned communism in his teachings. Moon's new belief system framed the Cold War between democracy and communism as the final conflict between God and Satan. He openly promoted the newly divided Korea as the front line in the final battle of good and evil. After UN soldiers freed the prisoners at Hungnam labor camp in 1950, Moon's official biography states that he walked 320 miles to Busan, a city on the southern tip of the Korean peninsula. According to the teachings of Moon's church, Moon began building his church as a refugee in Busan out of discarded United States Army cardboard ration boxes. The World Psychiatric Association published an analysis of the mental health struggles in refugee populations and concluded that refugees have an elevated risk of a range of negative mental health effects, including PTSD and depression. Given that Moon was both a torture survivor and a refugee, he was at a higher risk for suffering from these conditions. Refugees live in a precarious, uncertain state. People in a vulnerable, transitional stage of their life often look to religion for comfort and guidance, and Moon was no exception. According to a former follower and biographer, in 1953, when Moon was 33 years old, he attended a church in Sangdo Dong, led by a minister named Bek Moon Kim, a charismatic preacher in the Pentecostal tradition who practiced faith healing. Bek claimed that Jesus had appeared to him personally and given him the mission to spread the message of a new Israel throughout the world. Beck proved to be a strong influence on Moon during that time. As Moon watched and listened to Beck's sermons, he noticed how Beck was able to exert control over his followers by claiming to possess a divine mandate. It's possible that Moon learned a few techniques from Beck that he later used to captivate members of his own church. Chung Hua Pak, one of Moon's first followers wrote that Moon completely plagiarized Beck's teachings and that Beck was actually the source of many of the ideas that became the foundation of Moon's theology. In that same year, in 1953, Moon decided he needed a new name, something more suitable for a Christian evangelist. Moon was keenly aware of the symbolism of his birth name. Yang means dragon. Dragons are normally benevolent creatures in Korean mythology, but Moon knew well that his name could also be interpreted by his Christian followers as a reference to the serpent from the Garden of Eden or the devil from the Book of Revelation. Mun Yang Myung wanted a name followers could believe in. According to church literature, Moon chose the name Sun. The Korean Hanja character for Sun is actually written by combining the characters for fish and lamb, both symbols of Christianity. The character for Moon means writing or word, and the character for Myung, when combined with the character for Sun, means make clear. So Moon's new full name could be taken to mean the word made clear. Thus, Mun Yang Myung became Sun Myung Moon. As Moon's fledgling following grew, he left his old life behind entirely, including his marriage to Sun Kil Choi. There are a few different accounts about the end of their marriage. Some say that they divorced in 1953, 
and others that their marriage ended in 1957. The end of their union is glossed over in Moon's official biography. In every case, it is reported that despite the fact that marriage is a central tenet of his theology, Moon fathered a child out of wedlock with a woman in his church named Young Hee Kim in 1954, and then ended his marriage to Sun Kil Choi. At the time, Moon claimed that Sun Kil Choi did not understand his religion. Chung Hua Pak, one of Moon's first disciples, reported that Moon tried to hide Young Hee Kim's pregnancy by sending her to Japan. Pak wrote that Young Hee Kim was essentially penniless and that she gave birth to a son under very difficult conditions. She named her baby boy Hee Jin Moon. After using up all her money, a friend and fellow church member named Sung Tek Oh traveled from Japan to Korea to ask Moon for financial support. According to Chung Hua Pak, Moon rejected Young Hee Kim's plea for help, telling her that she had to take care of herself. Not exactly the actions of a messiah anointed to save humanity. When Young Hee Kim eventually returned to Korea, Moon was forced to register the baby as his child. Moon had the child raised by the wife of a church member, but the boy later died in an accident during a train journey at the age of 14. Chung Hua Pak writes that Moon used the death of his son as part of his religious message, telling people that the child went to heaven to build the world of spirit. Perhaps this was Moon's way of comforting himself over the loss of his child, or perhaps Moon was demonstrating a callous ability to repurpose even the tragic loss of his son into yet another tool to further his church. After living in Busan for a year, Moon moved to Seoul, South Korea early in 1954. He had been gaining more followers, and on May 1st, he formally founded the Unification Church. He called his new church the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity. At Moon's new Unification Church, he preached a conservative, family-oriented value system and his own, newly assembled, handwritten interpretation of the Bible that he called the Divine Principle. The Divine Principle was essentially Moon's interpretation of the Bible and Judeo-Christian history, which incorporated elements of Confucianism and Korean shamanism. It's important to note that the basic elements of Moon's theology were revised several times over the history of the Unification Church. According to Moon, the divine principle explained that the fall of man and original sin could be traced back to an illicit sexual relationship between Eve and the archangel Lucifer in the Garden of Eden. This illicit sex tainted Eve's blood. When Eve later slept with Adam, her sin was passed on to her husband, tainting his blood and the blood of their children. This was apparently how original sin passed on to the entire human race. Moon claimed that Jesus gave him the authority to cleanse this original sin and purify the blood of his followers. In the early days of the Unification Church, Moon's method of cleansing the sins of his followers was called Picaram, or the Restoration Ritual. During the ceremony, Moon slept with female church members, and this supposedly allowed him to change their blood from satanic to holy. The full ritual involved three different sexual encounters with Moon. The woman needed to be on top during the first two encounters, and then he needed to be on top during the third encounter. After Moon slept with the female members and purified them, the women were then supposed to be able to pass on their new cleansed blood to their husband or any other man they slept with. Moon encouraged female church members who had slept with him to then have sex with at least five other men in his congregation. This way, they could all be purified and populate the earth with sinless children. FBI profiler Joe Navarro lists standard personality traits for dangerous pathological cult leaders in his book, Dangerous Personalities. These cult leaders often take sexual advantage of members by making sex part of a ritual or rite. Moon's creation of the Picaram ceremony certainly seems to fall into this pattern. According to former church member Kirsty Nevelinen, this ritual sex was the reason Moon was arrested. 
first in North and then in South Korea, since adultery was illegal in both countries. Unification Church member Chung Hwa Pak wrote in his book, The Tragedy of the Six Marys, quote, For the years before and after the founding of the Unification Church in 1954, I was in a position to get to know the despicable misconduct of Sun Myung Moon, who did not behave as a religious person, but nevertheless proclaimed himself to be the second advent of Christ, end quote. Pak further wrote, quote, Under the pretext of their restoration principle, he had sex with anyone he could lay his hands on, whether they were married women or students. I realized later that his creation theory and restoration theory were actually a copy of the teachings of Beck Moon Kim. Moon had ruined a lot of women's lives with his disorderly sexual activities. He destroyed too many women's lives, end quote. Moon told Pak that only married women could become one of his so-called Marys, the special women Moon selected to take part in the restoration ritual. Pak also noted that Moon had sex with as many women as possible and that Moon once had sex with a woman and her two daughters at the same time. Annie Choi, an early church member, later revealed that she personally engaged in numerous ritual sex sessions with Mr. Moon, along with at least six other women. Choi confirmed that Moon retained a rotating group of married women, known as his Marys, whom he had sex with whenever he liked. According to former church member Nevelinen, Moon continued to practice these sexual restoration ceremonies until the 1960s. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to cults. After founding the church in 1954, Sun Myung Moon quickly gathered young, loyal followers, willing to give everything they possessed to him and his church. Although he promoted anti-communist sentiments, his early followers donated their money, possessions, and homes to the fledgling church, and church members lived together in what were essentially communes. Moon's followers not only lived together communally, but since they had given nearly all their possessions and money to the church, they also communally shared whatever meager food scraps they managed to scrape together. Considering how anti-communist Moon was, it seems somewhat hypocritical that he forced his followers to share their property and possessions. But Moon had no qualms about such an obvious contradiction. In keeping with cult leader behavior models created by the FBI, Moon exploited his followers by asking for not only their money, but also the money of their relatives and loved ones. According to Chung Hua Pak, Moon ordered his female disciples to steal money from their husbands and give it to him. Moon used the money from his disciples to start church-affiliated businesses and cultural organizations, and the Unification Church expanded rapidly in South Korea. By the end of 1955, there were church centers in 30 cities throughout the nation. In 1958, four years after founding the Unification Church, Moon sent his first missionaries to Japan. This became a source of early growth for the church. Church members attempted to recruit new followers, but mainly sold religious trinkets across the country and sent the money back to Moon in Korea. For Moon at this stage, his church's main objective was to make as much money as possible. In 1959, Moon declared that God wanted him to spread his gospel to America and Moon sent his first missionaries to the United States. Moon's future wife, Hak Jahan, was only 14 when she first met the cult leader. Her parents were both members of the church. Her father was Sung Myung Moon's personal cook. Han was just 17 when she married 40-year-old Moon in April 1960. Moon referred to his wedding to Han on April 11, 1960, as a holy marriage. The ceremony established the drinking of holy wine, which symbolically represented Reverend Moon's blood. The holy wine ceremony was introduced to the church as an alternative to picaram, yet Moon also introduced elaborate instructions for the holy wine ceremony reminiscent of picaram. 
he laid out exactly how married couples should have their first sexual relations over the course of three nights. Sexual relations between newlyweds were only allowed after a 40-day period of mandatory abstinence following the wedding. But this rule never applied to Moon. Like many cult leaders we've studied on this show, Moon had an exaggerated sense of entitlement that allowed him to break his own rules. Han was given the title of True Mother by members of the church, and Moon became known as True Father. Together, they were referred to as the True Parents, and Moon's family members were known to the church as the True Family. This is another example of mystical manipulation. Moon was establishing his entire family as perfect and infallible. Using his growing church resources in 1962, Moon founded the Little Angels Children's Folk Ballet of Korea, a children's dance troupe that presents traditional Korean folk dances. Moon said that the purpose behind the group was to project a positive image of South Korea to the world. Critics said that he mainly pursued activities like this to lend legitimacy to the church and to increase membership. By 1963, Moon's missionary work in Japan and the United States was paying off. Now in his 40s, Moon pulled in hundreds of thousands of dollars every year from members who donated their savings, sold their belongings, and often gave their entire weekly paychecks to the church. With this new inflow of resources, Moon began building his business empire in South Korea and Japan. His goal? To become a billionaire. And his first move toward a multi-billion dollar organization was to form a South Korean business group known as Tongil Group in 1963. Moon was unusually successful at using his new religion and cult members for financial gain. Creating Tongil Group was a pivotal turning point for Moon in his overall goal of acquiring money, power, and influence. Using Tongil, Moon was able to realize these goals on a scale far greater than that of the average cult leader. Even so, Moon's behavior was still similar to many other cult leaders we've studied. He always insisted that he have the best houses, finest foods, and other material possessions, even as his followers were relegated to living in communes, eating nothing but rice, and sharing with each other even the most basic possessions. Moon's financial exploitation of his followers eventually allowed him to obtain the type of lifestyle that most cult leaders can only dream of. Although the Tongil Group was initially founded as a non-profit, Moon intended it to be a chaebol. That's a South Korean business group run and controlled by one person or family. In this case, it was a business group closely associated with the Unification Church and controlled by Sun Myung Moon. Tongil is Korean for unification, and the name of the Unification Church in Korean is Tongil Gyo. Moon used the vast wealth generated by his business interests to support his many nonprofit ventures and reportedly kept control of his many companies by placing key insiders within their hierarchies. But Moon didn't just want money. He wanted power and influence on an international scale. Moon knew that if he really wanted to extend his influence, he had to expand his church's reach globally. For that, he needed a strong foothold in the United States. Sun Myung Moon's first visit to the U.S. was in 1965. Shortly after, he published Divine Principle in the U.S. in 1966. Moon also sent missionaries to Europe, and the church began in Czechoslovakia in 1968, though it existed underground until the 1990s. Moon moved to the U.S. full-time in the early 1970s when he purchased an estate called Belvedere in Terrytown, New York, that became the church's headquarters. Later, he acquired an 18-acre compound in Irvington, New York, that he used as his personal residence, renaming the estate the East Garden. This was a clear example of how a leader uses his followers to support a lavish lifestyle. Moon's Irvington estate was described as having a ballroom, two dining rooms, one with a pond and waterfall, a kitchen with six pizza ovens, and an upstairs bowling alley. Moon was able to live like a king due to the growing interest in the Unification Church. In 1971, the Unification Church of the United States 
had approximately 500 members. By 1973, the church had presence in all 50 states and had grown to a few thousand members. By this time, Moon's overhead was substantial. Moon ordered every member to contribute $80 to $100 a day to church coffers. Church members often sold photographs, flowers, or trinkets at airports or on the streets of tourist centers to meet their quotas. But Moon's extravagant lifestyle still cost him a fortune to maintain. And he knew the best way to keep cash flowing into his bank account was to continue to recruit new members. So during the 1970s, Moon gave a series of public speeches as a means of marketing himself and the cult, including a speech that made national headlines for its overflowing crowd at Madison Square Garden in New York City in 1974. To attract even more members, in September 1976, Moon sponsored a God Bless America rally at Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. that drew 50,000 people, most of whom, the New York Times reported, quote, seemed to be there for the music and fireworks display, end quote. As Moon increased American membership in the Unification Church in the 1970s, he began to seek political influence. Unification Church members prayed and fasted outside the U.S. Capitol during the Watergate hearings in 1973, when President Richard Nixon was being pressured to resign his office. The church leader even told followers that God had proclaimed that, quote, Americans must love Nixon, end quote. On February 1st, 1974, Nixon publicly thanked the Unification Church for their support and invited Moon to meet at the White House. Moon achieved exactly what he wanted, recognition from a United States president, the most powerful figure in American politics. Moon's meeting with Nixon brought the church widespread public and media attention. It was free advertising for his cult that he desired. To further his influence in American politics and culture, Moon founded News World Communications in 1976 in New York City. Its first two newspapers, The News World, later renamed The New York City Tribune, and the Spanish-language Noticias del Mundo, were published in New York from 1976 until the early 1990s. But as Moon's influence and wealth grew, he came under increasing scrutiny. In the late 1970s, Moon was investigated by the U.S. government, primarily over charges that he was involved with efforts by the South Korean government to bribe members of Congress to support South Korean President Park Chung-hee. A congressional subcommittee found evidence of links between Mr. Moon and the Korean Central Intelligence Agency. The subcommittee also found that the church had raised money and moved it across borders in violation of immigration and local charity laws. Former FBI forensic accountant Alton Sizemore said that fraud within churches is a major problem, but estimates that as much as, quote, 95% of fraud within churches goes undetected or unreported, end quote. After concerns were raised in the media that divine principle contained elements of anti-Semitism, the American Jewish Committee released a report in December of 1976 examining the theology behind the Unification Church. A. James Rudin, an American rabbi who served as National Interreligious Affairs Director for the American Jewish Committee, noted that divine principle contained, quote, pejorative language, stereotyped imagery, and accusations of collective sin and guilt, end quote. The Unification Church drafted a response to this report, quote, categorically condemning anti-Semitism as the most hideous, abject, and cruel form of hatred, end quote. The American Jewish Committee issued a second report that noted, quote, all major Christian bodies and religious authorities have unambiguously rejected the anti-Semitic notions and language contained in divine principle, end quote. Then, in 1977, Representatives from the American Jewish Committee, the National Council of Churches, and the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New York held a joint press conference to strongly and publicly denounce the anti-Semitism contained in divine principle. During this conference, 
both the National Council of Churches and the Roman Catholic Archdiocese also stated that the theology contained in Moon's divine principle amounted to heresy. It was a strong condemnation of Moon's church. Faced with such damaging judgment, Moon needed a way to challenge this assessment and counter the public backlash against him. Moon claimed the mainstream media was biased against his conservative point of view. So five years later, in 1982, he made his most publicly visible investment when he founded the Washington, D.C.-based newspaper, The Washington Times. Moon said he wanted The Washington Times to be a conservative counterbalance to what he perceived as The Washington Post's and other news media's liberal bias. Moon achieved the political influence he so obviously craved. The Washington Times eventually became a leading conservative voice in American politics. Moon used the Times to effectively spread ideas that benefited his church and his businesses. He also used the paper to provide a positive perspective on the Unification Church. He clearly hoped to control and manipulate public opinion the same way he controlled and manipulated his own followers. From the start, the Washington Times was a financial drain. The paper lost money and never climbed out of the red during its first 20 years. Even so, the paper, whose circulation reached 100,000 at its peak in the late 90s, remained a prominent national voice in American politics. Moon was reported to have said, quote, Many comfortable Washington political bureaucrats who have had their beautiful offices inside big marble buildings considered Reverend Moon and the Unification Church as insignificant as peanuts. However, now they have found themselves having to respond to the Washington Times. They are reading it and trembling at some of the stories." End quote. But it always battled the public perception that it was a mouthpiece for the Unification Church, especially after top editors resigned and reported church interference with editorial decisions. Moon and leaders in the church were brazen about their plan for the newspaper. One of Moon's chief aides and the founding president of the Washington Times, Bohe Pock, reportedly told conservative activist David Finzer, quote, We're going to make it so that no one can run for office in the United States without our permission, end quote. But despite Moon's wealth and sizable political influence, things were changing for the worse for Sun Myung Moon. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now back to the story. On October 15, 1981, Sun Myung Moon was named in a 12-count federal indictment accused of failing to report $150,000 in income from 1973 to 1975, a sum consisting of interest from the $1.6 million he had deposited in New York bank accounts in his own name. After the tax evasion charges were announced, Mr. Moon said, quote, I would not be standing here today if my skin were white and my religion were Presbyterian, end quote. Moon was clearly attempting to portray himself as a victim. Instead of admitting any wrongdoing, Moon tried to make it seem like he was being persecuted due to his race and religion. He called the case a government conspiracy to force him out of the country. Moon tried to influence the outcome of the case in his favor by requesting a bench trial. But the court denied Moon's request. In 1982, he was convicted on all counts by a jury of his peers. The next year, after those convictions were upheld on appeal, Moon was given an 18-month sentence and a $15,000 fine. Moon's trial was the focal point of a debate over freedom of religion and free speech in the United States. Professor Lawrence H. Tribe of the Harvard University Law School argued that the trial by jury had, quote, doomed Moon to conviction based on religious prejudice, end quote. The American Baptist Churches in the USA, the National Council of Churches, the National Black Catholic Clergy Caucus, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference all filed briefs in support of Moon. Many notable clergy, including Jerry Falwell and Joseph Lowry, signed petitions protesting the government's case and spoke out in defense of Moon. 
However, Prosecutor Joanne Harris said that, quote, this defendant committed a very serious crime that strikes at the heart of a tax system based on trust. The defendant here was motivated by greed, arrogance, power. He was motivated by a contempt of our national trust. He concealed the fact that the money was his to do with what he wanted, end quote. Ms. Harris also said there was, quote, strong evidence of a criminal intent to thwart the federal investigation, end quote. In 1984, Moon was imprisoned in the United States at the Federal Correctional Institution in Danbury. He was in his 60s and assigned to kitchen duty. During his incarceration, Moon was able to have periodic contact with church officials, including his wife and church president, Mose Durst. Sun Myung Moon served 13 months before being released on good behavior. After he was released from Danbury in 1985, Moon was sent to a halfway house in New York for 45 days. Prison official Jeff Garbo stated that Moon could assume his duties within the church during the daytime and report back to the halfway house each evening. Later that year, Moon founded Sun Moon University in Chungcheong Province, South Korea. He was back to full leadership of the church and back to performing mass weddings. You may have heard about these. During blessing ceremonies, Moon married off Unification Church members by the thousands in simultaneous weddings around the world. Many of these brides and grooms met only days before the mass weddings. But the strangest part? Quite a few of these couples, matched personally by Moon from a myriad of different countries, couldn't even speak the same language. Moon assigned future spouses to each other in large gatherings, placing a strong emphasis on matching people of different races and nationalities. This was in keeping with Moon's stated ideal of unifying all races and nations in his church. He convinced his followers that he could quickly discern the marriage suitability of complete strangers and see their future descendants. In 1988, he matched 2,500 Korean members with Japanese members for a blessing ceremony held in Korea. Partly, he said, to promote unity between the two nations. But it wasn't all wedding bells and happy couples for Moon. Moon's attempts to pursue peaceful relations between countries through marriage ceremonies did nothing to quell the anger of the United States government. Congress completed an investigation into Moon's connections to the South Korean Central Intelligence Agency and recommended the U.S. government take formal action over allegations there was a connection between Moon and the Korean CIA, though nothing was ever proven conclusively. Instead, the House of Representatives issued a report denouncing Moon's businesses and commercial interests as a global network designed to further the growth of a religious cult. Despite these setbacks, Moon was still in control of a massive network containing hundreds of businesses and nonprofit organizations that touched millions of people around the globe. He remained an influential figure in American politics. But the damage was done. The church's reputation was damaged almost beyond repair, and church membership was dwindling. Members often departed as a result of the Spartan life inside the church and the hardship of maintaining full-time membership. Perhaps in an effort to stimulate church growth, Moon continued to invest in businesses not officially affiliated with the cult. In 1989, Moon founded Sangnam Ilwa Chanma, a Korean team who became the most successful soccer club in Korea. He also invested $8 million of church money into the Universal Ballet Project, hiring the Soviet-born Oleg Vinogradov as its art director and his own daughter-in-law, Julia Moon, as its prima ballerina. Moon also searched for new countries where he could recruit members capable of refilling the church's coffers. 
Strangely, given his anti-communist leanings, Moon also began pursuing new members from communist countries. In April of 1990, Moon traveled to Russia and was granted a one-on-one meeting with then-president Mikhail Gorbachev, where he offered support for the political and economic transformations happening in the Soviet Union. In 1991, Moon met with North Korean dictator Kim Il-sung in what he claimed was an effort to discuss methods to achieve peace between North and South Korea. Moon also relaxed doctrines within the church in an effort to encourage new members to join and replenish dwindling bank accounts. Moon announced in 1991 that church members should leave their communes around the world and return to their hometowns to perform missionary work there. He also loosened rules about marriage, allowing parents to choose their children's spouses and inviting non-believers to participate in mass weddings. But despite Moon's efforts to revitalize the church in the early 1990s, reports of dysfunction in the church and in the true family increased, and more of Moon's members left. Chung-Hwa Pak published his tell-all book, The Tragedy of the Six Marys, in Japan in 1993. Although reprinted four times that year, members of Moon's cult allegedly bought up many of the copies in an effort to keep it from circulating widely. Oddly, a year after publishing, Pak rejoined the church and issued a formal retraction, or maybe not so strange considering that Pak did so amid rumors he was paid by the church to recant his testimony and withdraw the book. Through the early 90s, the church's fortunes continued to decline in the United States, and Mr. Moon revised his pro-American views. He said the United States, where he was now a permanent resident, was rife with moral decay. America, Moon said, was full of free sex and extreme individuality. He promoted homophobic attitudes towards the LGBT community and described them in offensive terms. Moon renamed his church in 1996, still hoping to revive the shrinking church membership. The church is rebranded as the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, But the name change did not provide the injection of new life he needed, though he continued to receive hundreds of millions of dollars in income from church-affiliated business interests. Mr. Moon and his church largely dropped from public view in the late 90s and 2000s. The steady flow of stories about the abnormalities inside the supposedly perfect Moon family continued. In 1998, daughter-in-law Nan Suk Hong the ex-wife of Moon's son, Hyo Jin Moon, published a tell-all memoir, In the Shadow of the Moons. In the book, she wrote that Hyo Jin was a domestic abuser and cocaine addict. She also mentioned that Sun Myung Moon himself was guilty of adultery. Other parts of the Moon Empire crumbled as Mr. Moon aged. The church settled hundreds of lawsuits in Japan, alleging that unificationists persuaded people to buy religious icons by promising them spiritual powers. These lawsuits weakened one of the primary revenue engines for the church, which brought in an estimated $400 million a year. The extent of Moon's financial holdings has remained somewhat of a mystery, but there is one number that helps shed some light on the matter. Mr. Moon acknowledged that over the 20 years since he founded the Washington Times, he contributed more than $1 billion in subsidies to keep it going. He may have been sitting on a massive fortune, but it's clear he also had massive expenditures. Despite the constant stream of negative reports, Moon attempted to sustain shrinking church membership with business initiatives. After receiving an honorary degree from the University of Bridgeport in 1998, Moon forgave a $90 million loan to the financially challenged university and donated an additional $15 million to the school. Also in 1998, Moon built a church in North Korea and invested more than $300 million in the automobile industry of North Korea. But tragedy struck the next year, in 1999, when Mr. Moon's son, Young Jin Moon, died after a fall from the 17th floor of Harris Hotel in Reno, Nevada. His death was ruled a suicide by the local coroner, 
According to church leaders, Moon wanted to keep the death a secret for what he said were providential reasons until after the new millennium. But news organizations across Asia broke the story and spread word of Young Jin Moon's death. Moon transformed the tragic death of his son into a manipulation tactic, using the suicide to shame his followers. The American Unification Church president, Tyler Hendricks, wrote a memo blaming members for the death of Moon's son. The memo said, in effect, that the spiritual failures of church members had brought about Young Jin's death as a kind of sacrificial offering. Despite the loss of his son, Moon focused on revitalizing the Unification Church. In 2000, the church co-sponsored the Million Family March, a rally in Washington, D.C., to celebrate family unity and racial and religious harmony, along with the Nation of Islam. As membership in the Unification Church continued to decline, Moon made increasingly bizarre claims in an effort to draw attention to his cult. One of the strangest moments came on March 23, 2004, in Washington, D.C. Moon attended what was described as a Peace Awards banquet, which was held at the Dirksen Senate office building. With members of Congress watching from among the guests, Representative Danny K. Davis of Illinois carried in gold crowns on a pillow that were placed on Mr. Moon and his wife. Some members of Congress present at the ceremony later claimed they had no idea Mr. Moon was involved in the banquet at all, even though it was hosted by the church's own Interreligious and International Federation for World Peace. This banquet is another example of Moon's pattern of grandiose behavior, presenting himself as King of America in front of members of Congress in order to appear powerful and influential. During the banquet, Mr. Moon said, Emperors, kings, and presidents, quote, declared to all heaven and earth that Reverend Sun Myung Moon is none other than humanity's savior, Messiah, returning Lord and true parent, end quote. He told the gathering that this truth was acknowledged by both Stalin and Hitler in conversations with him from beyond the grave. He also stated that the founders of the world's great religions, along with figures like Marx and Lenin, had, quote, found strength in my teachings, mended their ways, and been reborn as new persons, end quote. Despite the inherent absurdity of the ceremony, Moon and his followers took it seriously. Days later, at an April 7th gathering, Moon bragged about his new kingly status. A church website quotes Moon as saying, The coronation of true parents and king and queen of the peace kingdom was no small event. This was not a symbol or a simple matter. This coronation of March 23rd was a most serious condition in history and was a central point for the peace kingdom. A top church official, Chung Hwan Kwok, said, quote, So in effect, the crowning means America saying to Father, please become my king, end quote. And in a promotional video released by the church, an announcer explains that the ceremony marked the dawn of, quote, the era of the eternal peace kingdom, one global family under God, end quote. This was a clear example of the same mystical manipulation that we've seen other cult leaders use. Moon was using this ceremony as proof of his divine mandate. In April 2008, Sun Myung Moon appointed his Harvard-educated son, Hyung Jin Moon, to be the new leader of the church. In a ceremony near Seoul, the 28-year-old was anointed by Moon as chairman a move that was widely seen as yet another attempt to broaden the controversial religious organization's appeal. This was also a significant step for Moon. It was an acknowledgement of his own mortality and a clear attempt to pass on leadership to his chosen child. Hyung Jin was born in New York in 1979. He was the youngest of Moon's seven sons. At Harvard, Hyung Jin received his master's degree from Harvard Divinity School in philosophy and theology. While studying at the Ivy League University, he practiced Zen Buddhism and even lived in a Catholic monastery. During the anointing ceremony, Moon was quoted as saying, I hope everyone helps him so that he may fulfill his duty as the successor of the true parents. Later that year, on July 19th, Moon and members of his family, including his wife and 14 others, 
were injured when their Sikorsky helicopter crashed into a mountain and burst into flames in Gopyeong, northeast of Seoul, South Korea. The helicopter was forced to attempt an emergency landing because of bad weather near Cheongshim Hospital, a hospital owned by the Unification Church. But the crash didn't do much to slow Moon down. The next year, in 2009, Moon published his autobiography titled As a Peace-Loving Global Citizen, published by Gim Young Publishers in South Korea. The book was a bestseller in both Korea and Japan, but although the book was purportedly written by Moon, the book may have been the creation of publisher Gim Young's CEO, Yoon Ju Park. Instead of focusing on Moon as a religious figure, the book instead focused more on Moon's role as a Korean patriot and an international peace advocate. That same year, in 2009, Mr. Moon presided over a blessing ceremony for 40,000 people on the campus of the Sun Moon University in South Korea. This was amid reports that people were being shipped in from the Korean countryside to boost numbers at the church's mass weddings. This is the first major mass wedding of this scale since 1999. They're estimating that about 40,000 people took part in this around the world. The last time we had a mass wedding on this scale was in Seoul, when the Unification Church held a mass wedding at the Olympic Stadium. The ceremony also celebrated Moon's marriage to his wife, as well as his 90th birthday. The Reverend Moon is turning 90 in January. Actually, by Korean age, he turned 90 earlier this year. And he's also celebrating the 50th anniversary of his marriage to Han Hak-ja. By 2010, the aging Moon had passed on much of the day-to-day responsibility for the church's religious and business activities to his children, who were now in their 30s and 40s. Sun Myung Moon said he was 16 when Jesus Christ called upon him to complete his unfinished work by establishing a true family. He gained fame for pairing up and marrying off thousands of followers at elaborate mass weddings like this one in Washington, D.C., where he's heard speaking through a translator. These couples to become the true couples and to build the true families. Moon served 13 months in a U.S. federal prison in the mid-1980s after a jury convicted him of filing false tax returns. I'm Steve Coleman. On August 15, 2012, Moon was reported to be seriously ill and was put on a respirator at the intensive care unit of St. Mary's Hospital at the Catholic University of Korea in Seoul. On August 31, 2012, Moon suffered multiple organ failures and was transferred to a church-owned hospital near his home in Gopyeong. Moon died the morning of September 3, 2012, at the age of 92. Moon handed over day-to-day control of his empire to his children in recent years. His U.S.-born youngest son, the Reverend Young Jin Moon, was named the church's top religious leader in April 2008. But the story of the Unification Church doesn't end there. Currently, the church is split into several factions, all of which claim to have the legitimacy and spiritual authority of Sun Myung Moon. The two most prominent groups are the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification, led by Moon's surviving wife, Hak Jahan Moon, and the Family Peace Association, founded and led by Moon's youngest son, Hyun Jin. In 2013, five months after his passing, Moon's wife, Hak Jahan, who announced her own special messianic status following her husband's death, presided over a mass marriage for 3,500 couples. Meanwhile, Hyun Jin's World Peace and Unification Sanctuary offshoot led the AR-15 blessing ceremony in February of 2018. Although the church and its businesses are still active around the globe today, due to ongoing divisions between family members, the future of the Unification Church is in turmoil. Next week, we'll dive into the day-to-day lives of Unification Church members, hear how members are recruited, and examine what it really means to be a follower of Sun Myung Moon. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. 
If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter as at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Join us next Tuesday as we continue to investigate the Unification Church, a.k.a. the Moonies. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Ian Maddox and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.